Uh, if you're visiting with us, our theme for the whole year on Sunday nights is uh, we're talking about what people want to know about the Bible. Just average people uh, have some very basic questions about the Bible. They don't argue about all the things that uh, churches and denominations and theologians argue about. Uh, they just want to know some real basic things, and those are some of the things we're tackling uh, this year. So uh, our second big topic of the year was the end times, the, uh, the afterlife. And people wonder a whole lot about that. Uh, we get a lot of questions on Know Your Bible about what's going to happen when we die and what's heaven going to be like and what's all of that afterlife going to be like. So we tackled that a long time ago, it seems, and uh, broke it into a number of topics to hopefully cover real well the topic of eschatology or the, the last things. Uh, we spent a couple of weeks on prophecy and the millennium, just because that's so interwoven. Uh, then we talked about the intermediate state, where we go when we die, and then the second coming, then the judgment, final judgment. The last couple of weeks we've talked about heaven, and tonight we've made it to our final topic in eschatology. Uh, saved it till the last because it's not a very pleasant one to talk about. Uh, the topic of hell. Uh, one that we'd just as soon avoid, prefer not to talk about probably. Uh, in fact, God himself would rather not deal with it. The uh, Bible says he's not willing that any should perish. Uh, it'd be fine with him if nobody uh, went to hell. But he does deal with it and does clearly teach us about it. So uh, we're going to see if we can get it covered tonight and next week probably. It is one of the bigger questions in life, I guess, and probably one of the main arguments anti-God is people, classic question, how could a loving God send anybody to hell? How could a loving God send somebody to eternal punishment? How could a loving God send one of his children to such a place? And that's the argument that uh, they use for uh, denying God or most of the Bible. So uh, it's a topic we need to cover and certainly part of eschatology. So let's work on that topic this evening. Uh, first of all, the reality of hell. We've got to talk about that a little bit, uh, make sure we understand that the Bible does teach an eternal hell, but some people deny that. Uh, hell, for our definitions here, and we're not going to spend much time on that, it's, it's the eternal abode, or the eternal state, if you will, of the wicked. And the reason we're not going to spend much time on it is we talked about all of that when we talked about the intermediate state and uh, covered most of the words there and all that. Uh, so we'll just brush over some of that this evening. But the Bible is very clear about a place called hell. Uh, the word hell is in the King James Version 54 times. Uh, most of those are wrong. They shouldn't be in there. Uh, only 12 of them are correct. Uh, but that's the way the King James translators did it, and more modern translations do a better job. Those words... Sheol, Hades, Tartarus, that we talked about back in uh, 2C, uh, our topic on the intermediate state, often got translated by the uh, 
uh, King James translators is hell. So take all of those out, and there's only 12 where it's really talking about the final abode, the resting for the place of the wicked. And that word, as we learned back then, uh, is Gehenna. And so where they found that word, they did translate it correctly as hell. Uh, Not only does the Bible mention hell by name and talk about it as a place, there's a whole lot of talk about it in general, about the judgment and where sinners go and the punishment and all of that. Uh, There's 1,870 verses that Jesus is talking in that verse. Uh, red letter kind of verses. And out of those 1,870, uh, 13% of them are about judgment and hell. Jesus talked a lot about it. A lot more than we would think he talked about it. Uh, but he did. He was constantly warning people about it. Uh, somebody's counted up that of all the parables he told, uh, over half of them have to do with the eternal judgment of sinners. And if you start thinking back through the parables, you can remember a whole lot of parables that are about the master and the the workman and all of that and the eternal judgment that he's talking about. Now, let's just look at a few verses in particular, read them uh, completely so we understand the Bible does clearly teach the reality of hell. Matthew 25 last part of the chapter is about the sheep and the goats, and Jesus is talking about the separation of the judgment, and we used this passage when we looked at the topic of the judgment a lot. Uh, he talks about eternal fire in there, up in uh, chapter, verse 41. Uh, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So we learn something there. This, this place of hell, this eternal place of the, the wicked, not prepared for people. Well, if people choose to go there, they can. But it was prepared for the devil and his angels, the rebellious ones that left heaven, and that's the punishment that they're going to get uh, at judgment time. Uh, they will be sent there, and we studied that when we talked about the judgment. Go on down to verse 46, the very last verse in chapter 25, and he repeats it again about those that uh, well, they question him after he sentences them. And in verse 46, he says, Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So he, he draws the two places there, eternal punishment, eternal life. Let's go over to Revelation 21. Another one of our passages that we've used quite a bit as we tried to figure out what the afterlife and what heaven was like particularly. The first part of it, we won't read the first five or six verses. We read those before. Uh, He's talking about the new heavens and the new earth and all that we talked about in some detail. Uh, But verse 8, he says, But the cowardly, now this is after talking about heaven, Eight, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. 
fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death, and their place will be there. The wicked, the uh, wicked will be there eternally, he says. And let's finish with Second Thessalonians chapter one. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse eight and nine. We'll read uh, and use a number of times tonight, probably. Okay, verse 8, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his people, etc. Okay, so other verses that talk about the same thing, but uh, if those three don't convince us that the Bible teaches the reality of hell, uh, then any more wouldn't, wouldn't help. Those three ought to do it. Uh, if you believe the Bible, and understand that, if you, under, if you believe the full Bible, if you understand that the Bible has to agree with itself, and you study it with that in your mind, uh, then it is undeniable that there's a place called hell. And it is a bad place. And it is in a place of eternal punishment for wicked people. If you believe the full Bible and believe that it agrees with itself and all that, to deny that there is a place like hell, uh, which a lot of people do, you've got to either throw out the Bible or change the way you read the Bible. So, and there's some people that do it that don't believe in the Bible, and some people deny hell that do believe in the Bible. So let's talk about a few of them. Uh, one kind of denier of hell is secular people, materialists, uh, that don't believe in the Bible, don't believe in God, don't believe in any of that. Well, they don't believe in an afterlife. They think this life is it. So if you start talking to them about hell, you're... You're not communicating because they don't think anything happens after life. Uh, when we die, we're just dead. Uh, we're dead all over, just like a rover. Uh, and humans are just like animals. And when life ends, it ends. And there's no place to go and no place to be rewarded and no place to be punished. All that, your body's going to go back to dust. Your consciousness just ceases. It's just ended. Okay? So uh, there are a lot of folks that... Believe that and say, no, I'm not worried at all about hell because there's no such place. And no God to send me there and no judgment to worry about. And, all right, okay, that's one position. Uh, second way that some people deny, or second kind of people that deny hell, are people that uh, believe the Bible or, or claim to and generally claim to be some kind of follower of Christ, uh, but they hold a belief called universalism. They believe that somehow at the end of time, uh, or maybe a little bit later, that God's mercy is going to prevail. That God is so loving and so merciful that he just couldn't let any of his children suffer in hell. So he's going to save everybody. 
a universal salvation. Uh, in fact, there is a universalist church. If you look in the yellow pages, uh, they merged a while back, I think, with the Unitarian Church. So now it's the Unitarian Universalist Church. Uh, but that's what they believe, that everybody eventually is going to be saved. Uh, some of them think that there might be a uh, period of punishment, and we'll talk about that next week probably, but uh, eventually everybody's going to be saved. So hell is not in their thinking process that uh, somehow everybody is going to be uh, saved. Now, you may brush that off and think, well, that's kind of kooky to think that if you read the Bible. Uh, more and more people are talking about that. More and more people are saying they believe that. Okay, uh, In Christian denominations of all stripes, uh, people are moving toward that, which is only natural since the spirit of this world is what? Tolerance and don't be exclusive and everybody's all right. Uh, so the more and more you believe that and buy into the spirit of the world, well, hell looks worse and worse. You, you can't teach something like that and be intelligent. Uh, so they come up with universalism and lots more theologians and uh, scholars and teachers and preachers and all that are starting to teach at least some form of universalism. Uh, I was reading the other day, and I, I never name people by name usually because I, I'm not in the business of judging or telling who's in or out or whatever, but just so you understand what I'm talking about, uh, John Hicks, who many of you have read some of his books, he's been writing for a long, long time, even since he was a teenager, member of the church, teaches at Lipscomb, and very good scholar, uh, has written some excellent books about a lot of topics, uh, but his recent writings and recent book he wrote, uh, he's decided that universalism is right. Uh, he's decided that everybody's going to be saved. Okay? And so that's what he's teaching now in books. Uh, and if you wonder, well, how can somebody do that? You know, I mean, if the verses we read sounded kind of clear, didn't they? You know, I mean, it sounded like there's a bad place called hell. Uh, the way you do that, and I think it's kind of instructive, uh, we spend a little time on this because it applies to a lot more than just a belief in hell. Uh, some of you may have read the front page article in the Eagle today. Uh, same process, just a different topic. Uh, the verses, a few verses that universalists use are like 1 Corinthians 15.22, and I didn't bother to put all these down here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will also be made alive. Okay. Now, that sounds kind of universalism. Uh, we know what it means, or when we put the whole Bible together, we, we know what it means. But that's one verse that they take and say, well, there, there's universalism. Romans 5.10 uh, says what was done on the cross, the work that was done there, uh, uh, just, it was the justification that brings life for all men. 
Okay. Well, but if you just read that verse by itself, it sounds a little universalistic, doesn't it? Uh, Romans eleven thirty two. Uh, says God has bound over men, been, has bound all men over to disobedience, so that He may have mercy on them all. Okay? God made the law so people could know they were sinners, and He did that so He could show them mercy. Okay? Well, Paul writes and says, "Have mercy on them all," and universalists seize on that and say, "There, everybody's going to be saved." Ephesians one ten, last one I'll read. Uh, God's purpose is to bring all things. Uh, in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. They take that and say, there, everybody's going to be saved. They're all going to be under Christ. Now, I admit those verses, if you read them, you can put a universalist slant on them. But if you just do that and take those verses, the problem you're going to run into is if you're debating for universalism or if you're debating for a real hell, you're going to be quoting Paul on both sides of the debate. You're going to take some of the things he said that have a little universalistic sound to them and argue against the ones that absolutely don't. Well, you can't do that. And it's not just because it's one man. With Paul, you can't take what Peter wrote and argue against what Paul wrote. You can't take what Ezekiel wrote and argue against what John wrote. The Bible all fits together. And we've got to figure out how to make it fit together. Okay. So to go a direction like this, you've got to seize on a few verses. You've got to put your slant on how you kind of like it, and then you've kind of got to ignore the other stuff. In my opinion, I think that's how it works. I think that's how you get to a, a position like that. Uh, and the only reason to do it is because you seek something else other than taking this word and cutting it straight. Uh, so hopefully we can cut it straight as Paul advised us to. So, back to the reality of hell, and, and my position is that uh, if you believe the Bible, all of the Bible, that it's got to agree with each other, you can't deny it. there's a place called hell. This is the eternal punishment place of the wicked. Uh, others deny it for a number of reasons, but it's real. All right, if it's real, what's it like? What, what is the nature of of hell. Now we spent a couple of weeks talking about the nature of heaven and what it might be like and all that. Uh, this one's not near as much fun to imagine and think about. Uh, in fact, I thought I'd just take straight Bible to start with, and then we'll think about it after that. But the, the images in the Bible, when Jesus or one of somebody talks about hell, here's the images they use. Uh, the first one is a garbage dump. That's literally what the word means, a Gehenna. Uh, when Jesus said Gehenna, that they'll go into uh, the place of unquenchable fire, they'll go to Gehenna, the people in Jerusalem knew what he was talking about. It used to be a, uh, well, it still is actually a valley, a valley called Hinnom, outside Jerusalem, and it was an abomination to the Jews. Uh, child sacrifice went on there. Idol worship went on there. 
In fact, let's just make sure we get the history here so we know what Jesus is talking about. Go over to Jeremiah if you get your Old Testament. If not, I'll read it to you. Jeremiah 32. Back in the times of King Ahaz and King Manasseh. Uh, Jeremiah 32, 35. Okay. They built high places for Baal, or altars, in the valley of Ben-Hinnaman to sacrifice their sons and daughters to Molech. Though I never commanded, nor did it enter my mind that they should do such a detestable thing and so make Judah sin. Okay? So, so God's telling Jeremiah here, he's recounting what the people have done wrong. And he said, they built altars out in the valley of Hinnom and sacrificed their children there to Molech. And then go back to Jeremiah 7. And we'll see that God cursed the valley of Hinnom. Verse 30. Uh, the, God says, The people of Judah have done evil in my eyes, declares the Lord. They have set up their detestable idols in the house that bears my name and have defiled it. They have built the high places of Topheth in the valley of Ben-Hinnom to burn their sons and daughters in the fire, something I did not command, nor did it enter my mind. So beware, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer call it Topheth, or the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, but the Valley of Slaughter. For they will bury the dead in Topheth until there's no more room. Then the carcasses of this people will become food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and there will be no one to frighten them away. I will bring an end to the sounds of joy and gladness and the voices of the bride and bridegroom in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, for the land will become desolate. Of course, he's talking about one of the overthrows and the captivities and all of that. And he says, I'll curse that valley. And they're going to throw so many dead bodies in there that they won't even call it the same anymore. It'll be the valley of slaughter. Well, that was hundreds of years before Jesus. By the time Jesus got here, that valley was still there outside Jerusalem, just south of Jerusalem, I think. And it was the town garbage dump. That's where they dumped everything. And back then, they didn't have the waste disposal facilities that we have, so it was a different kind of garbage than we dumped. Uh, it was everything that you didn't want to keep in the city. Uh, and they didn't have a sewer system or anything else, so it went to the garbage dump. Uh, that's where they threw the dead, too. Dead animals, you don't have a humane society to take care of them. You throw them out in the garbage dump. Criminals, you got no place for them when they die. You don't want to waste money burying them. You throw them in the garbage dump. That's the kind of stuff that went in there, and they kept a fire going there the whole time to try to burn some of it up, and I'm sure that released some wonderful odors. Uh, but anyhow, that's what the place was. To a Jew, that was as abominable and bad as you could get. So that's how Jesus described hell. He said that's where wicked souls are going to Gehenna, a place like the Valley of Hinnom. 
So that's one image the Bible uses. Next one is over in Mark 9.47. Jesus uses kind of a strange term. He said he refers to hell as a place where the worm does not die. Okay? He was most likely talking about maggots. Okay? That's what Gehenna was like. Uh, you think there were some maggots in the Valley of Hinnom? After you know what went in there? And they didn't die. They were always there. They were continually processing all the dead things that were out there. And Jesus said, that's what hell's going to be like. The worm doesn't die. The maggots don't die there. Another picture is saying the same verse, or almost the same verse, Mark nine forty-eight. It's a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. It's a place of unquenchable fire. The fire is burning all the time. Now, we might take that strictly from Gehenna and say, well, that's, he's still talking about that and uh, the fire burned out there or the all the time. Maybe, but he might have been talking about a different symbol of fire. Uh, that's what God's wrath is always pictured as, as a, as a raging fire. When God turns his wrath loose, it's fire and brimstone. He got mad at Sodom and Gomorrah. What happened? Fire and brimstone. So maybe he's talking about that, and in fact, I put a few verses there for you, Psalms 11.6, Malachi 4.1, Hebrews 12.29, says our God is a consuming fire. So it's not just the fire of the garbage dump, perhaps. Uh, in fact, other verses talk about a furnace of fire, a lake of fire, fire and brimstone. Fire is continually mentioned as an image of hell. Next one is darkness. Matthew 8, 12 uh, says that the wicked are going to be cast into outer darkness. Outer darkness. Remember what heaven was? Place of light. Okay? Uh, God and the sun are the light. There's no, you don't need a sun. You don't need a moon. You don't need stars. It's light all the time. This is the opposite of that. Second uh, Peter 2.17, depending on your translation, may say that the wicked are going into black darkness. The NIV says the blackest darkness. Uh, remember Egypt's plagues, the one of darkness? It wasn't just dark. <laughs> it was dark. It was total darkness. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. Yeah. Complete absence of light. So the Bible talks about hell as being a place of uh, black darkness, thick darkness, uh, the opposite of heaven. Uh, the last image is one of separation from God. Uh, in the story, and well, every time that Jesus talked about it, about final judgment and all of that, he talked about it this way, uh, that the wicked, he will say to the wicked, depart from me. Away from me, out of my sight. Okay? And from what we've learned about God and holiness and all that, we understand why. He can't have sin in his presence. Okay? So he says, depart from me in Matthew seven twenty three, Luke thirteen twenty eight talks about the wicked being thrown out or cast out of the kingdom. Uh, we already read about outer darkness. 
uh, is where they're going to be thrown or cast out into. Uh, that term outer darkness means as far away from God as possible. He's light. If you're going to the outer darkness, you've got to get a long ways away from God. Second Thessalonians 1.9, Paul says that the wicked will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. Away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. All right. So those are the, the images that the Bible uses to describe hell. A garbage dump, a place where the worms and the maggots never die a place of continual fire, a place of darkness, total darkness, and a place of separation from God. Now, uh don't think we'll tackle the next page yet, but let's just preview it a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk next time about, does that mean that there's going to be a fire burning there, continually burning our resurrection Body or the wicked's resurrection body. Are there going to be maggots there continually gnawing on people? I mean, that's what's really going to happen there? Or is it figurative? Yeah. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about whether it's literal or figurative next time. Uh, it's obvious. I mean, if there was a fifth grader in here, I'd call on him. I bet he could figure out one reason that you might think this is figurative. He might look at that list and say, hold it now. How can it be totally dark and you have a fire burning all the time? Yeah. See, that, that doesn't work in physical fire anyway. I guess you can have dark fire if you're God, but uh, th that right off says, hold it. I don't know if this is all figured or literal or not. Okay. So next week we'll talk about that, whether it's literal or figurative and that it is a place of suffering, whether it's literal or figurative or not. Uh, I will go ahead and say this because we'll, we'll, we'll cover it next week. But to me, whether it's literal or figurative, I don't think we've got to worry too much about it. It's going to be a bad place. But whether all the physical stuff or not is literal, uh, the one that is literal is the separation from God. Okay. Uh, and I think that by itself, even if all the other things are just trying to emphasize how bad it's going to be, uh, that's going to be bad enough uh, to be totally separated from God and know that you're separated from God. To know that you had the opportunity uh, that he had provided for you, he gave you a free will and gave you every chance in the world and, and all that and... You've separated yourself for eternity uh, from God. So that would be bad enough for, for uh, any interpretation we might come up with. But we'll, we'll talk about it a little more uh, next time. And then we'll talk about the topic of whether hell's eternal or not. The same folks that go for universalism, uh, there's some other folks that say, well, God couldn't do this. He really wouldn't leave people in there forever punishing them. Uh, so they come up with a theory of annihilation, that after a while he'll just destroy them and they'll be gone and they won't really suffer eternally. So we'll look at that doctrine and see if that makes sense. And then we'll talk about how to rectify all this or rationalize the nature of God with a place like hell. So we'll do that next week. 
lesson is yours. If you're here tonight and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we'd be happy to help you with uh, anything public you need to do. I'll be here at the front. Let's stand and sing. If you need to come, come.